Welcome to Focus, a productivity podcast about more than just cranking widgets. I'm Mike Schmitz, and I'm joined by my fellow co-host, Mr. David Sparks. Hey, David. Hey, Mike. How are you today? Doing great. How about yourself? I am in the throes of construction. You know, I, I've been talking about this indoor studios build, but I had a, a revelation the other day when I was doing my journal. I said, you know, I could sit here and keep writing about how I'm going to be way more productive when this is done, or I could just do my work today and not worry about it. And that's been a really good theme for me this week because this morning <laughs> a concrete truck showed up in my house at 7 a.m. and I didn't know it was coming. <laughs> but it's all good. Surprise. Yeah. And we are going to make a podcast today with one of my dear friends, Gene McDonald. Welcome to the Focus Podcast. Hi, David and Mike. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Now, before we get into the, the meat here, though, we should make a quick announcement here because September is Childhood Cancer Awareness Month. And for the fourth consecutive year, the Relay FM community is rallying together again to support the life-saving mission of St. Jude Children's Research Hospital, finding cures and saving children. Yeah, I mean, it's the time to help out, gang. I mean, any contribution you make to St. Jude goes to one job, curing children from life-threatening diseases. St. Jude not only takes care of families, they also... Uh, do a ton of research and they share that research with the world. This is, this is like a no brainer contribution and something I'd like to really focus on for the focused audience. See how I did that is um, I'd like to get everybody in on this. Now, I'm not saying that everybody has to give hundreds of dollars, but if everybody just gave $1 or $5, that is the kind of momentum we need to make a difference. We, uh, we're really pushing this year. We want to get the the relay total contribution to nearly a, a half million dollars. If we can do that, that'll make the total contribution from relay listeners $2 million over the, uh, the several years we've been doing this. I think that would be such a wonderful thing for us to do together. And if you're listening and you're on your way to Starbucks, just, just skip Starbucks today. Drink that lousy coffee at the office or at home and give that five bucks to St. Jude. I guarantee you'll feel a lot better than if you're drinking a cup of Starbucks. And it's going to make a big difference. I mean, the the statistics behind the work that St. Jude does is kind of astounding. Uh, cancer kills more children under the age of 14, first of all, than any other disease, which in and of itself is a scary statistic. But because of generous supporters like you, St. Jude creates more clinical trials for pediatric cancer than any other children's hospital in the U.S. And in 2021, one of those trials reported reported a more than 20-point improvement in the survival rates for high-risk neuroblastoma. That's the second most common solid tumor in children, and they did it using an antibody which was produced at the St. Jude campus. So there is tangible results from this money that you're giving, and this progress is just one example of the world-class research that takes place at St. Jude. It's carried out by researchers who are among the world's most highly cited scientists which is then, this is the amazing part, they share all that research with the world to help doctors and patients elsewhere. Yeah, I heard from a listener who's a bankruptcy attorney, and he explained that, you know, a lot of families, sadly, in America, who pay their bills and have jobs, they they go broke because of an illness. Now, that's got better recently. We've changed some of our laws, but not enough. And imagine these families, you know, your child has cancer, you're going to be worried about your child, but you're also got to worry about those bills. Well, you know what St. Jude does? They they pay for the treatment and the families never pay a dime. I mean, 
I don't know. It's just such an easy one for me. Uh, Daisy and I actually put money away every month for St. Jude and every September we send it in and it feels great. And I would love for you, dear listener to do the same. You know, uh, it doesn't have to be a lot. One dollar, one dollar. That will make me happy. Just, just take, just take the time to give a little bit and you will receive so much back. Please, please contribute to St. Jude. Help us with this big goal for Relay, but more importantly, help all those kids and those families. Absolutely. And if you want to contribute, you can go to stjude.org slash Relay. You can donate there. You can also find out more about fundraising. There's a couple of options, ways you can get involved this year. Donors who make an individual gift of $60 or more will receive a digital bundle, which includes a wallpaper and a macOS screensaver pack. If you make an individual gift of $100 or more, you'll receive a set of stickers in addition to the digital bundle. And uh, just a reminder that if your employer offers a matching gift program, then fill out the form there to have that match credited to the campaign, double your your contribution. Uh, But you can also get more hands-on this year if you want and start your own fundraising campaign to help us reach our goals while also earning exclusive Relay FM merch. So fundraisers who raise just a single dollar, like you were talking about, David, or more, they receive an exclusive St. Jude limited edition of the Relay FM Challenge coin, which I have right here. And uh, fundraisers raising $250 or more also receive a unique desk mat featuring the cartoon heads of Relay FM's co-founders. So please go to stjude.org slash Relay to donate and find out more. And I, I'll just add that that desk mat is truly disturbing. I don't know. I'm not <laughs> sure that that's a, that's a benefit. But anyway, it, it's cool. And, and the idea that you can raise money... Uh, through your community. I don't know. It's it's such a great thing. We've been banging on about this for a while, but hey, you know what? Like I said, skip Starbucks today. Skip Starbucks for the week. Give some money to St. Jude. You, you'll feel so great about it and you will be making the world a better place. Gene McDonald, um, thank you so much for coming in. Now, Gene, for folks who don't know you, tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh, yes. Um, I um currently work-wise, uh, my f- focus is um, community manager at Microdot.blog, which is a kind of blogging plus social media platform founded by Manton Reese, who's a longtime Mac and iOS developer. I also do a lot of podcasting. Um, as you know, David, I used to be really involved in podcasting from the sponsor side. And I sure. I think it just eventually you hang out with podcasters long enough and you end up podcasting. So I um, let, let, let me share a story there that's kind of funny. Um when Katie and I first <laughs> okay. started Mac Power Users, we just did it because we wanted to make it. We never really thought about having sponsors. And after we had been making it for I don't know about six months. Jean wrote us at the time she was working with the smile software and text expander and said, Hey, we'd like to sponsor you. And I wrote her back and said, okay, well, how much should we charge? Cause we don't know. <laughs> and, uh, and she, uh, did not take advantage of us. She's just a quality person. <laughs> I didn't take advantage of you, but I did get bragging rights. Um, to be the first sponsor of Mac Power Users, which yeah. obviously was starting a a trend that uh, many people jumped on that wagon, and rightfully so. I, yeah, I, I brag about that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so I um, 
you know, was sponsoring a lot of um, Mac and Apple oriented podcasts. And I really enjoyed just working with podcasters and occasionally being a guest. But then um, I, I had this like big need to make a podcast about a television show that I really like called Orphan Black because I couldn't find a podcast that met my need. And I was like, all right, I'm just making this podcast. And that's when Jason Snell said, well, would you like to have it on the Incomparable Network? And I was like, uh, yeah. <laughs> so then I became, you know, part of the Incomparable. And I uh, went on to do a Star Trek podcast called Voyager Revisit It. And I, um, I also do a podcast with my good friend, um, Mac developer and, and, musician band leader James Dempsey who's the uh, founder of James Dempsey and the Breakpoints um, and he and I a few years ago four years ago he he first discovered uh, David Allen and he was talking to me about it and I had been working on GTD like since way before that and so he said I said you know what what if we make a podcast that'll kind of give us a a reason to every week do our weekly review. And so the podcast is called The Weekly Review. Um, and we've been doing it for four and a half years um, consistently every every Friday. Yeah. It, it's great to see you on the production side, Jean, because you have a lot of cool things to say. And, um, and, and you know, the thing about, because you and I, we're, we're friends. We talk often, not, right. not with microphones. We just talk. And and you, uh, you're trying to work through this stuff and figure out how to be productive mm -hmm. and, and pursue the things that are important to you. Um, something yeah. that Jean didn't say is she was the founder of App Camp for Girls and uh, yeah. made a big difference that way uh, for many years. And, and uh, Jean is a person who's interested in getting focused and getting things done. And uh, I'm just so happy that you came on. Well, I do. I feel like it. You know, I'm I'm talking with the big leagues now. You guys are the real productivity deal. And as I started calling our podcast the so-called productivity podcast. Well, honestly, I do too. I do too. I I feel like we're all fake. You know, I mean, uh, let's you know, let's just all be honest here. This stuff is really hard, and you go through phases yeah. where you're good at it, and phases where you're not so good at it, and. I mean, like I started the show today making a joke about this construction, but um, just like every day, these guys are asking me for questions and uh, talking about, you know, well, this might cost extra and I got to go out and figure out what they're doing. And like my whole system is in shambles this week, you know, and it just takes a, a little while for that to happen. And I'll get back on the horse here soon and. We all, we all fall apart and anybody who goes on a podcast and tells you that they've got it all figured out is lying to you. I, I I'm just convinced. I mean, yeah. uh, the, the trick to this stuff is not that you're going to master it and be done. The trick is to look at it as a journey and uh, do the right things you can every day as best as you can. In fact, I had somebody yeah. write me cause I keep saying that on the show and they're like, well, you said that, you know, you're you're not an expert at this stuff. I am. So you should have me on as a guest. Somebody actually wrote me that. <laughs> it's like, wow. Wow, wow man. That's pretty impressive. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like uh, all the productivity advice is kind of related to that Mike Tyson quote. You know, everyone's got a plan till they get punched in the face. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
Well, you know, it's like there's certain things in life I've learned, like everybody has a way of doing it. And those ways all actually work. Um, uh, dog training, for one, like you can get totally, you know, people with totally opposite views. There's no one good way to train dogs. Um, well, my dog uh, has trained dieting. me, if, if it matters. Yeah. <laughs> The dogs have their secret training guild <laughs> that they they figure out how to make humans do what they want. But fixing your Mac, I just had a big Mac meltdown the last two weeks, and uh, it really undermined my sense of, you know, getting things done at all. And I talked to a lot of people, you know, obviously I have a lot of friends who are, are pretty much experts on Mac, you know, tech stuff. And... I kind of got a different answer from every person um, of what I should do next, including the Apple Store, the Genius Bar. And so I, eventually I was like, I just have to do what I know will work for me. And, you know, when somebody says terminal, blah, 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 this, and I'm like, oops, that's just above my pay grade as, as a Mac user. I'm pretty savvy, but I'm not, I'm not an engineer, and I don't know Unix, and I just want to want the thing to work again. So see if I were you, I would just drop it off at James Dempsey's house and then come back in a week. <laughs> I, I, you know, it, it was, if, if his house wasn't so far from my house, that's true. That's true. I would. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I mean, I had, that's how I used to operate. I have a friend named Edward McNair who was my, teacher um he was my web design teacher early on back in the 90s and he's just you know a mac genius um and he used to upgrade my mac every year or whenever new operating system came out i'd just go to his house like what you just said (laughs) but i you know until i it got easier to do it um for mortals and also i you know the older i not older i get but the more i appreciate like people's time and attention the less i want to take it up with my stuff if i can figure it out on my own that would be better so and, and what a perfect segue into the show you know we we're here um Yay. we call it a productivity show but really i think the problem we're aiming for with this show is focus and productivity mm-hmm. is something that can come with focus but focus is more the verb than the noun here and uh, it's a challenge for everyone, and it's something that uh, Mike and I are on a crusade for. And um, Gene, mm-hmm. I know, for instance, um, you you were there at the beginning of kind of the social media revolution. In fact, you were the one mm-hmm. who told me, I think you were the one who told me, I hope I don't get you in trouble here, that we just, because I didn't want to put the Mac Power Users forums on Facebook, and you're like, David, just do it. That's where everybody is. Stop fighting it, you know? <laughs> If I said that, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a long time ago. I mean, it was before Facebook became yeah. what it is now. Yeah. But, you know, but you were actually paying attention to this stuff. But I know from our personal conversations, you've been rethinking social media a lot lately. Uh, tell me, you know, kind of where you've mm-hmm. been and and how you're dealing with it now and in terms of your own personal focus. Sure. Um, well, I joined Twitter at the very beginning beginning, not the very, very beginning, but shortly after they launched. So I think that was 2007. And I really liked Twitter. I mean, 
it just, it worked for me because I was out there networking with all kinds of Mac users on behalf of Smile. And I'm not a kind of person who divides up like my personality from here's my work and here's my fun socializing. As you know, I like yeah. to socialize with the, you know, I just meet so many cool, nice people in this business and um, go to, I went to a lot of conferences and to Mac user group meetings and stuff. And so keeping touch with people was super easy on Twitter. And uh, yeah, so I, I really enjoyed Twitter in the beginning. Um, but it just, you know, it just year after year got to be more onerous. I don't know, you know, that I would say that Mm, I don't know. I also did, I was doing Facebook. I joined that because I was doing a, a rock and roll camp here in Portland. And all I did a ladies rock camp session where, you know, I was with other ladies, you know, my age, we, we did a camp, a weekend camp where we formed bands and wrote songs and did a performance. It was really cool. And then everybody was like, are you on Facebook? Yeah, this is the part where Mike starts jumping in his seat. I know. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> well, I uh, I have a couple of guitars in, in my office here. I I play yeah. electric guitar, so that that is intriguing to me. But uh, I, yeah. you're probably beyond my skill level. I don't think I could jam with you guys. <laughs> I, I I'm gonna say you're probably beyond mine. I mean, I can play guitar passably on stage, and you know, but I I'm not like a uh, a very well practiced or skillful guitarist, but making a band is not about having skill. So I, you know, there's a rock and roll camp for girls, which is the nonprofit that ladies rock camp is like a fundraiser for. And that actually was the inspiration for me for app camp for girls, because I saw how much uh, people, girls, you know, and also women got out of, kind of cutting loose with music and not and being encouraged not feeling you know like imposters not feeling stress of being really great just you know putting your heart into it is the most important thing anyway um yeah you should look for a rock camp <laughs> mike and play <laughs> it, you would have fun but uh yeah so the all the all the women at ladies rock camp were like oh we're you know let's be friends on facebook that's when I, so that i joined and that kind of got me sucked into Facebook, but um, you know, the joining Micro.blog, you know, working with Manton, um, he, he he, it was interesting because he started it, you know, with a Kickstarter, and when he met his initial goal, he created a stretch goal, and part of the stretch goal was he would hire a community manager, and it just I read that and I thought, mm, I think that's a job for me. <laughs> I don't know why I think I can do that job because I've never been the quote unquote community manager of anything, but uh, you know, but the smile user community, I mean, I, I, I guess I was the manager of that. So anyway, I, I started working with Manton and it's just been such a great learning experience because he's thought very deeply about these issues about social media and blogging and especially the decline of blogging over time, once, you know, Twitter and, and Instagram and, and Facebook, to some extent, you know, people started posting everything there, and not on their own blogs, which they would 
theoretically control and be able to, you know, uh, they would have them no matter what, as opposed to a big corporate silo like Facebook and Twitter, you know, they don't interact. They don't, um, if they were to close down your account for whatever reason, you'd be, all your stuff would be gone (laughs) and that would be it. Plus you have no control over the, the presentation of your work, you know, so you write a post or you write, you know, a tweet and it's all within the inter, the interface, the UI of that, corporate silo. And so anyway, with Manton's influence, I have, I, I quit Facebook and Instagram, um, a couple years, a few years ago, because also Facebook has gotten the worst publicity (laughs) in terms of, you know, being callous about their users, uh, lives and, uh, not to mention their employees. Um, but I just thought, I just don't want to, I don't want to feed that machine anymore. And I was going to quit Twitter, but I more just mostly stopped going there every once in a while. I'll, I'll check something out, but I I feel like I'm going to probably end up quitting that um, pretty soon. And I haven't joined anything new except Mastodon. (laughs) That downside though of them kind of deplatforming you is a real risk. Like my, my daughter is a budding playwright and she's connected with a bunch of people and Instagram Mm -hmm. for a reason that we've never figured out, um, cancel her account. And we don't know why. I mean, she doesn't, she's a very, you know, she does not publish questionable material, you know? So, but for something happened and, and like, she's lost connection with all these other people that were, that was her primary connection. And, And I told her, I said, well, that's what happens when you give, that power to someone else. But, um, but the, the real evolution for you as I've talked to you has been, you know, the focus angle of this. It's like these services Mm -hmm. are great at stealing your attention. And it's something that you have kind of actively avoided recently. I don't want to let them dictate what I think about or or how I spend my time, and and we know a lot. You know, a lot of this has come out um, about all these services is they're designed to to engage. I mean, engagement. I used to think engagement that sounds great. You know, that's such a yeah. positive thing, right? And now I have learned the dark side of engagement, which is um, there's the more they can engage you the more time you are there to um look at their ads which is basically what it's all about and it's ultimately about money and uh so yeah i've um i have really backed off of at twitter as i said and i just go there maybe once a week i'm for some reason I'll I'll say oh I should post this on Twitter. I also feel like I'd like to keep people informed about microdot blog because I call it it's like I'm I'm a lifeboat, you know, <laughs> sidled up to the sinking titanic of social media and I want to pull in people if, you know when they're ready to jump uh I'll, I can tell them hey, you know, let me tell you about microdot blog or other things that are like microdot blog um 
you know, that's, so that's, um, that's why I have not totally quit Twitter. Um, but microdot blog is very interesting. Sometimes I, I call it the slow social media, which I would never use <laughs> in a actual tagline, but it is, uh, it is not, it does not suck you in in the same way. First of all, we don't have likes, so you have, you don't have that, um, you know, in whatever dopamine hit of going to see how many people have liked my post. Um, if somebody actually likes your post, they can comment on it, but you can't just like click like and move on. And I think that's that was really hard for me. I think I wrote a post at some point about being addicted to likes. <laughs> no, I, I think there's something to that. I mean, the way our brains yeah. are wired, it's that validation hit. And and it causes you to become increasingly uh, desperate for them. It's like the more you get, the more you need. It, it does have like a drug-like yeah. uh, uh, impact on the way our brains work. Yeah. I was just recently um, listening to an expert talk about social media and, you know, someone said, well, what are we going to do about it? And one of the recommendations was, mm -hmm. you know, remove all of those affirmations, you know, likes yeah. of any sort are very insidious with the way the human brain is wired. It's really interesting. So yeah, there's no likes on micro.blog and there's also no list of your followers. So if people are following you, that's great, but you don't see who is following you and you don't see um, whether somebody follows you or not, like, you know, or quits following you. So, so that, cause that's the other part of that drug, <laughs> social yeah. media drug is like, how many followers do you have? Like Manton was very, um, very clear about this from the beginning that he said, like, I don't think that this number of followers is a uh, valid um, marker of whether you should read somebody's blog or not. And so, you know, we, and we tend, we can't help it. You know, I'm impressed. I'm still impressed when I see something online and they have millions of followers. I think, oh, you know, but the truth is like, that's, for me on uh, you know on a day-to-day -day basis i just want to read posts blog posts um from the people um whose writing i like or whose ideas i am inspired by or provoked by or whatever and i don't know on microdot blog if i'm the only one reading that or not and i don't does it matter no <laughs> Actually, does not. So that's you know I like what I have said. Like uh, um, as I've gotten into this, is that I like to to micro all the things now. Like every you know, if you get really down to this like basic level, it's like everybody on Microdot Blog is an individual human, and I really um, think that. You know, when we treat humans as a mass, you know, mass media, or, you know, mass communication, that then we see masses behaving a certain way. But when you actually go one on one with people, you know, people are complex <laughs> and people defy labels. And I just, 
I've learned to really appreciate that, you know, all the people on micro.blog are, you know, they they have such a wide range of interests and opinions and activities and, and skills and art, you know. I, so I've been enjoying that a lot, um, uh, to uh, interact on that level. This episode of the Focus Podcast is brought to you by Indeed. Go to Indeed.com slash Focus and join more than 3 million businesses worldwide using Indeed to hire great talent fast. Rapid growth for your business doesn't have to come with growing pains. When you have ambitious hiring goals, you need a partner to help you get there. You need Indeed. Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Don't spend hours on multiple job sites looking for candidates with the right skills when you can do it all with Indeed. Find top talent fast with Indeed's suite of powerful hiring tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. If you hate waiting, Indeed's U.S. data shows over 80% of Indeed employers find quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match their job description the moment they sponsor a job. And hiring all in one place is made so easy with features like virtual interviews. So don't make your candidates jump through hoops. Indeed's virtual interview tool means there's nothing to download. Just click and talk. Getting the right people is so important, and Indeed makes that so easy. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide using Indeed to hire great talent fast. Indeed knows when you're growing your own business, you have to make every dollar count. That's why when you sponsor a job, you only pay for quality applications from resumes in their database matching your job description. Visit Indeed.com focus to start hiring now. That, once again, is I-N-D-E-E-D dot com slash focused. Indeed.com slash focused. Terms and conditions apply. Cost per application pricing is not available for everyone. Do you need to hire? You need Indeed. And our thanks to Indeed for the support of the Focus podcast and all of Relay FM. Gene, a related topic um, is this book you recently read, uh, Stolen Focus by J- Johan Hari. Tell us about that. Yeah, it was so funny because I had that book. I was in the middle of reading it when you uh, contacted me to see if I wanted to be on the Focus podcast. I'm like, oh, my God, <laughs> that's just very, uh, you know, that's an interesting coincidence. Yeah. <laughs> Good timing. Yeah, it was a topic on my mind because of reading it. And so, uh Johan or Johan, I'm not sure how his name's pronounced. He's a, he, I think he's a British guy, and he has written other nonfiction books. He's one of those people who, uh, one of those writers, apparently, really good at researching a topic and talking to all the scientists um, who are related to that topic and synthesizing it with also with personal data. That's one of my favorite styles of nonfiction book, you know, is that that the person writing about the topic is also kind of living it. Yeah. And so he he does um, he he does talk in the introduction about how much he was noticing people not be not focused on things outside of their phones um, or their devices, and how his godson, for example, you know, was not. Um, who it, as a kid was really into like music and and doing Elvis impressions and and uh, but as a teenager he was like very much wrapped up in 
games and video and, and the kind of stuff that you see kids wrapped up a lot and adults. And so he, he's decided to take him to Graceland um, as a, you know, get away from the screens and let's go on vacation. But of course, screens were also yeah. in Graceland. And uh, it was just a really interesting anecdote um, uh, talking about how there's no guided tours at Graceland. They just hand you an iPod, I mean, an iPad and uh, and headphones and you t- tour yourself. And that I thought seemed kind of sad. Yeah, I we just um the other day with all this construction, Daisy and I just couldn't take it anymore, so we decided to go mm-hmm. to up to Disneyland. You know, it passes, so we're sitting there mm-hmm. at Disneyland two nights ago having dinner together at Disneyland. You know, the place where you mm-hmm. pay money to get in there, and then you also pay money for your food. I mean, it's it, yeah. and it's Disneyland. There's music. Mickey Mouse is running around. It's great. And I was looking <laughs> around us and like. We were at an outdoor restaurant, as you do these days, and there were three tables around us. And in all three tables, not it wasn't one table, it was all three tables, there were families there, parents and kids, grandparents in some cases, and they were all on their phones. I, I was telling Daisy, yeah. just look around us. I mean, here you are at a family vacation spot, and you can't drag your eyes away from the screen. It's just, it was depressing seeing these people there, yeah. none of them were actually talking to each other, engaging with each other at all. And, you know, Daisy's like, well, maybe the, my wife is the optimist. She's like, well, they're, maybe they're looking at pictures that they took together or something. I'm like, no, they're not. They're, you know. <laughs> Your wife is the optimist. I, <laughs> I love her, her optimistic energy, but yeah, I don't think she's correct. Um, and yeah. So, so the, Johan, he took, uh, he decided to take a, a summer off of devices. And he had a really hard time getting a phone that wouldn't connect to the internet, which was just funny in its own right. And then he took a broken computer of a friend of his, you know, that didn't connect to the internet yeah. anymore. So he could write on the computer, he could get phone calls, um, but that was it. He And so that was, you know, he got a lot of, interesting insight to the problem just by doing this himself and but he weaves this into his chapters are about things like um what is causing us to lose focus you know it's called uh i mean i think the subtitle of the book is uh why you can't pay attention anymore and what we can do about it um and it's really interestingly organized chapters on different um, aspects of how we use our minds and what has changed over time um, and reporting all the data from these various sciences. He interviews scientists, including um, Mihale Chikmantale, the author of Flow. Sure. The, um, the drinking game pr- name of, of all productivity podcasts. That's right. Mihale. <laughs> Mihale. Is it, and, uh, I that was really interesting because I didn't know anything about him, and he he sort of backgrounded it with his with Michali's uh, terrible experiences during World War II, and you know how he, how he became to become be a psychologist and why he wanted to be kind of the opposite of B. F. Skinner, um, who is this the psychologist people most associate with the 
kind of conditioned response yeah. laws, you know, that we can we can get people to do anything if we condition them with a some kind of reward. And uh, that's the opposite of flow. Uh, <laughs> so, so it's really interesting. I've really enjoyed the book. I, I, I confess I have not totally finished it, but I have peeked ahead because, of course, I want to find out what we can do about it. And uh, he, di- he, he has a, some chapters about how social media has um, intentionally, not just social media, Google, you know, as in particular, and Gmail in particular, um, how they have um, designed them to break our attention and grab our attention. Um, and that eventually, you know, he's, it's a manifesto for legislation uh, to, you know, there's other things we have done in the world that are harmful to humans that we stopped doing when we found out they were harmful. Like he gives the example of lead paint. You know, we say, you know what, that's just that level of harmfulness is not acceptable. And uh, I think it's hard for people to see it, myself included, because we're in it, you know, we're just in, we're breathing that, um, you know, and it is a outcome of capitalism. There's, you know, no real way around that if if companies have to keep growing and keep making money um, by growing they're going to have to figure out ways to get money out of us or out of advertisers and so you know it's it's it is a zero-sum game at some point yeah i've thought a lot about this i mean since i quit being a lawyer it's like you know what is my life's purpose and to me it's it's this battle it's the reason we make this show. It's the reason almost mm-hmm. anything I make is really aimed at solving this. Because the thing that took me a while to accept is that technology is the problem. And I'm a person who's always been yeah. very positive about technology. And I remember back in the days when I'd ride my 10-speed to Radio Shack to learn how to program on a computer or on the store floor, that computers were the future. They were going to solve our problems for us. They were going to make it easier for us to become what we were best suited to be and to, to, you know, to pursue our dreams. And somewhere along the line, the technology industry took a left turn because they realized that, you know, they make more money diverting our attention and, and really actively preventing us from being our best selves than they did helping us become our best selves. And that's the problem. I mean, now that doesn't mean that you can't use technology to become your best self, but you have to buck the system to do that. And um, Mm -hmm. anytime you can put attention on that, the better, because the more people that become aware, you know, of the problem, the more people can defeat it. Because I I have no faith that legislation is going to pass and that suddenly social media is going to become healthy. Um, I think it's this is much more a on the boots on the ground one person at a time fight. Yeah, my fourteen-year-old uh, son got to be a part of this thing last year, where they went to the state capitol and they got to be a part of the legislative process, and he got to introduce a bill. And the one that he chose to introduce was banning social media for anyone under eighteen. It did not pass. <laughs> but I was proud of him for trying. (laughs) Yeah. 
Yeah, that's that's impressive that he's that aware, you know. Well, we've got some resources that have helped us with that. I mean, one we haven't mentioned, but I'm assuming we've all all are familiar with is the social dilemma. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's based off of the work of Tristan Harris making that presentation at at Google. That was the tipping point for me was recognizing that uh, they were saying all the right things. Like this is a, a big issue. We're going to create this position for you, give you a promotion because this is really important and we need to address it. And then nothing happened because the money talks. And at mm-hmm. that point, it's like this is never going to be solved by the companies themselves because it is in, is in direct competition to the organization's goals. So at that point, you know, you can't have somebody else solve it for you. What are your options? You got to take responsibility for it. That's uncomfortable for a lot of people. Uh, I think that there are some cool options, though, for people who understand the significance of this and want to make those choices. Like one of the things that uh, my son has a cell phone, but he has what's called the light phone. Are you familiar with this, Gene? Oh, I just heard about it recently. There's a lot of people on micro.blog who are following and doing these kinds of things. And I just heard about it. And since I was reading this book, I was like, I need to look into that. (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty cool. Yeah, we got it for him as an experiment. I almost uh, ended up getting one for myself. Unfortunately, I do some screencasting for screencasts online and stuff like that. So Mm. I, that's the thing that uh, I was on the fence. Do I get, do I get, uh, cause I have a, an iPhone 11 pro at the moment. And as we're recording this, the 14s are about to come out and I'm like, do I upgrade it? Because this one no longer works and I can't get the lightning port to connect to the computer and do the screencast anyways. Like, should I just chuck it? Should I go light phone? Like my, my son, and eventually I decided I was going to do the screencast thing still, but I was uh, very tempted by it. I've done other things with my phone to limit it, but the beauty of the light phone, for those who aren't familiar, it's a it's a phone that's designed to be used as little as possible. So you can do text messages. There is no internet. They do have maps and you can do podcasts and things like that, but it disconnects completely from the endless feed. So every time you go to use it, you are intentionally going to do something with it. You're never just checking it. Mm-hmm. That sounds cool. I mean, there's a couple of points I want to follow up on there. First is I'm not sure that we need to go to that extreme. I feel like if you're aware of the problem, you can mindfully use this stuff. And, and there are some tools where you can limit the amount of time you spend in an app or choose not to install an app. You know, I mean, yeah, there are ways around it that you don't need to give up the benefits of modern technology. I mean, the argument I would make is, we need to be like, you know, we need to be like the rebellion in Star Wars, you know, scrappy group of people <laughs> who realize that the empire is there, but they didn't beat the empire by, you know, using rocks and sticks. They beat the empire by using technology just in a different way. And I feel like if we become smart about the way we use technology, if we're aware of the way these companies, which are run by boards of directors, which are chosen not because they want to do good for the world, but because they want to make money for the shareholders. If we start to become aware of that, um, we can definitely get a leg up on the world. I mean, to look at it selfishly, you can get ahead of the rest of these monkeys mm-hmm. that are lost in social media if you take this on. So that that's like a whole thing for me. I, I feel like you don't need to throw your window into uh, your phone into the ocean, but you need to become aware of the problem. The second thing, though, that Mike raises, which is even more insidious, is the effect of this on non-fully developed brains, which are what 
children mm-hmm. have, you know, I mean, and um, I don't, does the book address that? I just bought the book since you talked about it, but I think with children in, in particular, this is an issue. You know, when he cites studies of like, well, the percentage of people who don't read a book a year anymore, you know, has gone up. It's also goes up for children. Um, and, uh, you know, that children are even more affected. Um, so, yeah, but it's true. We do know that brains are not fully formed at these ages, certainly not at 13, which is kind of the the cutoff age now for social media. And so, yeah, I found just, just, just a little explainer video with one Google search about how Instagram harms young women's thoughts about themselves. And there's like a bunch of data here. I mean, for someone like you, who's made app camp for girls, rock camp for girls, all the stuff you've done to help young women, it's just gotta be so discouraging to see them fall into these traps with social media. No, it's definitely true. Um, And one of the things that he talks about, well, he interviews one of the Google engineers um, who, ex-Google engineers, who, who, uh, who was a magic, you know, hobbyist as a kid and always liked magic and talks about the magic as a metaphor for these distractions because... You know, magicians do stuff that we don't see because they know how to manipulate our attention. And so that's where, you know, I think, well, we can, you know, we we think we know ways to to work ourselves out of this problem, but they have scientists thinking of more ways to get us back in. Yeah. And so and you know, so we we have to be careful um that it, it's, it is more, that's what I, I really have appreciated about this book is not just all of the um, stuff, the access to information and everything that we have today that we didn't have, you know, 50 years ago. But it's also, um, there is a intentional wish to distract that's backed up with a lot of money and science that uh we we need to be aware of you know we so and that requires more than just one person uh we need people who will be activists in that way to keep us aware you know make things like the social dilemma and and keep us informed i do think there is uh a, a another aspect to this though uh based on your comment david that it's not necessarily bad that the technology itself but recognizing the slippery slope for the default behaviors is the 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 point to to focus on pun intended there i guess like that that's where the tipping tipping point is uh, if you can go into it with your eyes open you have a much better chance of success in terms of using the technology to further your goals rather than just being a, a product in the uh, the company's goals. One of the books that I've read, I'm curious, Gene, if you're familiar with uh, Reclaiming Conversation by Sherry Turkle. No, I'm, I've heard of her, but I haven't read that book. Uh, that one specifically is on the value of face-to-face communication, conversation, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that she pointed out in that book when I read it that really stood out to me was that anytime you involve technology, the default is that it is more surface level. And people will default to that because when they get asked a hard question, they want to have the time to think through things and thumb out a text-based response. But the more Mm -hmm. effective conversation is when you do talk face-to-face and you can see their facial expressions. And even if the words don't come out perfectly, more is communicated that way. And I just think that's a a great example of, of how technology is great. We can use it to connect to people. We can use it to build communities. I mean, that's a lot of the the stuff that you've done, Gene, is you've built some great communities. Um, so you can use it in a, in a positive way, but you have to recognize yeah. the the slippery slope there in, in terms of uh, using it incorrectly. <laughs> yeah. And also just to use the, you know, the technical term bandwidth, the bandwidth of an, of a um, face-to-face communication, you get so much more data. I mean, We've all done the thing where you text somebody something that you mean to be clear with, but they receive it in an entirely yeah. different way. Often that some people will receive a text in a hurtful way when you never intended it to be that way, but because they don't have enough bandwidth, they um, you know, it causes problems. And yeah, you know, I don't know. I, this stuff is hard. Uh, I don't, I I can understand (laughs) the idea, Mike, of saying, okay, you know what? I'm just going to make sure my kids have no access to any of this stuff, especially kids with the way (laughs) things are and how difficult it is. But also it's a fact of life that this stuff exists in the world. Uh, With our kids, we did a lot of dinnertime conversations about it. And I tried to make them as aware of it as possible. And my oldest now is a high school teacher. She just started. And I, I talked to her the other day. I said, how are things going? She's like, dad, these phones are a real problem. She's like, these kids, uh-huh. they can't, they can't stop. You know, she's like, she had a kid in her class who had his legs crossed and his phone was up his pant leg. So like when she would turn around, he would slide it out to read it. And she's like, I'll tell them to stop. And they will, they'll look at me and I believe that they want to stop. But then 10 minutes later, they get it out again. You know, and um, and it's just really an issue. And I just, you know, it just makes mm. me more aware of the problem, seeing her deal with it on the front line. I would add real quickly that uh, I don't think the right approach is just avoid it altogether. So with my oldest son, he doesn't have an iPhone, but he does have an iPad. Yeah. And he does mm. all of the editing for my other podcasts. <laughs> We've <laughs> tried to teach our kids not to avoid the technology because it's bad, but learn how to engage with it the correct way. So we have a mantra at our house, create, not consume. If you're going to use the device, the computer, whatever, to make something in GarageBand or edit the podcast, he's gotten into Obsidian lately. Like you're using it that way. Everybody practices, everybody practices Spanish every single day. Yeah. Uh, I know I said the buzzword. What's but, this, uh, no, the fact funny. that Mike that Mike's kid is into Obsidian, you know? Obsidian, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know many teenagers that are familiar with it, but he should join Microdot Blog. We have so many, um, I call them the the tinkerers on our uh, platform. That uh, that's how, all I know about Obsidian is from w- reading people write about it and watching my, you know, people go from. They're doing Obsidian now. Now everybody's doing this. Oh, we think we'll go back to Obsidian or whatever. Like, anyway, it's 
he he would fit in. He would. That's funny. He he refers to himself as a tinkerer. Oh really? Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's not just him though. We have a, a 12-year-old son who has a 1000 plus day streak in Duolingo. Like oh, good. it's just defining, you know, the the positive ways to use it and letting them practice that and model that. And in our experience, you know, we're, we haven't gotten everybody through this yet. We've got five kids at home and my oldest is 14. So I know the hard part's coming up, <laughs> but, uh, so far, like they're not, they, they understand and they see their friends, uh, that are glued to their phones and checking social media all the time. And they are the ones who are kind of repulsed by that, which, I'm going to mark that as a parenting win for now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you should. You should. But and, and you know, getting back to the big topic, it's not just teenagers. I mean, there are adults. Like no. I said, there were at Disneyland, there were grandparents looking at their phones while they were sitting across the table from their grandchildren, which I'm assuming are people they don't get to see that often. And um I don't get it. I just don't get it, guys. And uh and, and you know, getting back to the main point of this show, uh, focus. This is one of the biggest mm-hmm. vectors against it. And if you want to get that focus, you need to have an awareness of what social media is doing to you and a plan to minimize that. This episode of Focused is brought to you by Ethos. What will you do if the markets go up, if they go down, if aliens invade? You can't plan for everything, but there is one thing that we can all plan on, and that's where Ethos Life Insurance comes in. With Ethos, you get life insurance in 10 minutes for as little as $10 a month. Unlike other companies' long, confusing, and outdated application processes, Ethos 100% online application takes just minutes so you can get back to doing what you want. Ethos has no medical exams, just a few easy health questions. And with competitive rates from top-rated carriers, Ethos is affordable and convenient. As you know from listening to Focused, we're big about putting things in the proper place, getting things in order. Life insurance is definitely part of that and can give you peace of mind. This is just another part of your life to be organized about, and it's an important one. So join thousands of satisfied families protected with help from Ethos who have given the company a 4.8 star rating on Google reviews. Every year you wait, life insurance premiums increase by 8 to 10%. So get a free personalized quote at ethoslife.com slash focused. That's E-T-H-O-S life.com slash focused, F-O-C-U-S-E-D. That's ethoslife.com slash focused to get your free life insurance quote today. Ethos Technologies Incorporated operates in California as Ethos Life Insurance Services. Not available in all states and prices subject to underwriting and certain health questions. Our thanks to Ethos for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. So one of the items on our outline here is reading books versus listening to books. And I'm just going to, before I say anything else, let you answer that question. What, uh, <laughs> what is your approach to this, Gene? I am curious. It's, I feel like it's a big trap. <laughs> it's a trap. <laughs> um, no, not, it's not, not a trap. Let me explain. I have, I, let me explain. Jean and I were talking, okay. and she listened to this book we just mentioned, and she says, oh, yeah, this is what I'm going to have to read. And I thought, yeah. ah, Jean struggles with that, too. <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, one of the things, you know, why this book spoke to me, like just the title, is that I, for several years now, I can't remember when it started, but, you know, might even go back like 10 years, I kind of lost the ability to read a book. And I used to read like books constantly. Um, I'm a big uh, fan of detective fiction. So I go through a whole series of of detective novels, um, other kinds of fiction, nonfiction, biographies. I would read it all, you know, and have like some fat book, you know, sitting on my nightstand. And then somewhere along the line, I just, it just dropped off my ability. And I, I felt bad. I didn't really know. I thought, oh, it's just too much like video, too much, you know, there's other things that could take up my time and attention. But then I started hearing it from other people as well. And it wasn't just me. And then in this book, Stolen Focus, like it explains, it is not just me. It's not just, you know, some small group of my friends. It, it It's a uh, systemic issue for a lot of people. So audiobooks saved me because I started downloading audiobooks, especially using the app Libby um, to get audiobooks from my library. I, I started listening to books and then I could finish them. I, I would listen, usually doing something else like uh, chores or going for a walk or driving. I would listen to audiobooks. And then, um, I mean, I think I've listened to, I, I can look, you know, on Libby, but I l- probably listened to a hundred audiobooks this year, a hundred, because I would just put them on and listen. And uh, when I was listening to Stolen Focus, I realized, oh dear, this isn't going to work because I am trying to do two things at once, which I know you can't do and your brain can't do it. Um, so I should just get the book and sit down and, and read the rest. So that's what I did. But I think it depends on the book, whether it's a good idea or not, because certain books um, that, and I'll, I'll give an example, Eckhart Tolle, um, one of my favorite writers, teachers, you know, thinkers, I if I tried to read that book initially, I probably would have gotten bored with it, <laughs> The Power of Now. But because it was in my ears, I can't like flip around and try to find a chapter that's really the one that I want to listen to, you know, that I want to read, like looking for the answer, looking for the ending, something like that. Uh, skimming, you can't do that when you're in an audio book. And so I feel that that kind of um, material, which is deep, very deep and needs to be, it, it, it may be uncomfortable, you know, listening to somebody talk about um, what you, you know, need to do with your, I mean, it's, it's focus too, you know, Eckhart Tolle is the power of now <laughs> is his, his, his big uh, book and being present is saying present. You, you have to be kind of present in an audio book, whereas if you have a paper book, you might skim, you might speed read, whatever. So for things that are self-help, you know, and I use that term very loosely, but things that are are kind of inspiring, I'm going to say call inspirational nonfiction for me. Um, I prefer the audio book because I won't really read deeply the paper book, but 
um, I would like, you know, like uh, having read Stolen Focus, I've, I've been thinking about trying to be more intentional with reading. And, and I will say that if I really like an audio book, I, I, I buy a paper copy of it to have to refer to and, you know, to reread. But so that's my take on audiobooks. I don't think there's <laughs> one answer of one being better than the other. It depends on the book. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it depends on, on how you consume them. And that I think audio is fine. For myself, I find that, like, fiction books, I love audiobooks. If, if it's a good story, I love to listen to it while I'm pulling weeds or whatever. You know, as a podcast mm-hmm. listener, it's just such a natural. But what I found was over the last couple of years, I got in the habit of buying productivity audio, audiobooks too. And the the thing is, I read books in Kindle. And uh, and, mm-hmm. and there's like a couple of reasons for that. I grew up when you had to carry the heavy books. I love that they're on my phone. And I love that, that you know, that, you know, I can use these read later services like Readwise to to you know, give me a spaced repetition of my highlights. There's, you know, the digital stuff has advantages for me, but Amazon does the super insidious thing where you buy a Kindle book and they say, Oh, for another $5, you can have the audio book. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. you know, they, they always mm-hmm. give you like some really cheap discount on in the audio book. So then I start collecting. If you look at my audible list, I've got all of these productivity books. And I realized like halfway through last year, it just never works for me because I am not focused enough to listen to them on in audio form. I mm-hmm. need to read them. I need to be able to stop and read a paragraph again. Or like when they get some of these productivity books, they go into examples that go on for 10 pages and I can skip that. You know, there's just things I like to do with it as a book that I can't get with the reading. And um, I have just officially abandoned um, nonfiction audiobooks and uh, it's been a good move for me but like like you everybody's a little different everyone is a little different i'm glad to hear you say that david <laughs> because that was the problem i was encountering i i realized that i listen to podcasts uh, all the time when i'm at the gym when i'm in the car and there's an argument to be made there in, in terms of reclaiming focus of just not having something that you're listening to all the time but uh Setting that aside, what I realized was that when I'm listening to podcasts, I am listening, but I am not, to borrow the term, engaged. Uh, The Mm -hmm. conversation is going on whether I am paying attention or not. And so for me, that's where I would skim in audio version. Like I just disconnect, think about something else, and I don't even realize what happened over the last five, 10 minutes. (laughs) So in terms of reading books for me, I I realized that uh, that was not going to work. And I made a distinction that podcasts for me are solely for entertainment. And it just so happens I I am entertained by the discussion about productivity and creativity and things like that, that maybe other people would view as like a, a heavy lift or not something that they would choose to do that is enjoyable to me. But if I'm going to be listening to it, I'm not putting any pressure on myself to get anything from it. (laughs) Uh, And so when it comes to reading, I read physical books only. And again, I think this is kind of knowing yourself and figuring out what works for you. Back to the previous segment, uh, I realized that 
regardless of the digital device, Kindle, iPad, whatever, uh, if I am actually reading off of that device, I will get bored and put it down after about five minutes. Uh, whereas if I pick up an actual book, I can read for an hour. And that's not something that I could do from the beginning. I've been doing this for a, a while for the, the Bookworm podcast I do with my buddy Joe Bielig, where we read, force ourselves to read a book every two weeks and talk about it. Uh, but having done that for 150 some episodes in a row now, I've built up that muscle enough that like I, I can't possibly imagine doing it any other way. Well, if you read Stolen Focus, you'll be uh, you'll be confirmed in your your feeling about this because some <laughs> somebody did a study uh, between paper and and ebooks. You know, so same book, just different uh, device or different different mode of consuming and uh, retention and comprehension was was a significantly lower with the eBooks. So really interesting. Yeah. When I talk to somebody in real life, because the people that I connect with online tend to be a lot like me and they, they like reading the books <laughs> and things like that anyways. Uh, but every once in a while, one of my real life contacts will be like, Hey, do you have a, a, a book recommendation that I could read and I give it to him. And then, and then most of the time, nothing ever happens. Every once in a while, someone will come back and say, Hey, I read that book. I listened to it. It was great. And my response is always, that's like going to the gym and not putting any weight on the bar. <laughs> Go back and try again. <laughs> that's okay, a little bit extreme, now, but <laughs> <laughs> that's a little extreme. <laughs> I'm going to just say, all right, Mike, I, I knew you had a strong opinion. You said you had a strong opinion and now we know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think if you're if uh, if you have a practice of it and you're buying the the paper books for the ones that really resonate with you anyways, like that's a totally different thing. Uh mm -hmm. but I think for people who just they haven't read for a very long time, uh going to an audio version uh is a is a fine first step, but uh I would encourage people to push a little bit deeper and pick up a physical book and force yourself to sit down and read it because you will get way more out of it and if you start doing that consistently, you'll start to see the the collection of the ideas that you get from the books, which that's why I read nonfiction books because I want to collect ideas and mm. then they bounce around in my brain and eventually they come out in something that I create. And I don't know how they're connected always, but once I create the thing and I force myself to express what I think about something, that's when I can look back and say, Oh yeah, that came from that source. And that one came from that book. And it, I can always see the value after the fact and uh, I feel like you just got to stick with it a little bit and you'll start to see that for yourself. And that becomes really exciting for people who really want to grow and develop a, a growth mindset. Yeah. You know, I'm curious about that. Cause like we recently interviewed Tiago Forte with his building a second brain book and they sent us a pre-release physical copy. And that was the first physical mm -hmm. book I've read in a long time. Cause I just read in, you know, for these productivity type books, I just get the, the Kindle and I found it limiting having the physical book because I was trying to like, well, how am I going to, you know, keep this as something that I can act upon. And like, I have like a whole system when I read an ebook and maybe that's just it. I'm comfortable with the ebooks. I've been doing them so long where physical books I have not done for a long time, but I also just remember what a pain in the neck it was like storing them and like, 
going back and trying to find something in the book. There, there's no search on any on a physical book, right? You know, and, uh, <laughs> I, I don't true. know. I and, and I'm a nerd. That's part of it too, right? But uh, I I just find yeah. the ebook so much easier for me every time I hear this argument because all my nerd friends uh, read physical books. I mean, Mike is not the outlier here, you know. And like, I had a guy write me once saying, well, you got to get this kind of number two pencil and get the book. I'm like, this is all turning into a fetish, you know? And, and <laughs> I, I don't mean that like in a, you know, in the negative way fetish is used. I just mean like you're turning into a ritual. I get it. But you know, for me, I just love, like we, we went on a vacation for a week and I had all my books with me <laughs> and, you know, one yeah. night I could read this book and then the other night I could bring that book. It didn't matter which one I stuck in my luggage. And, uh, I just, I, Mike, that's something I need to like talk through with you someday. Cause uh, I don't know, <laughs> or, or maybe I just need to read physical books for like three months and see if suddenly it magically lands for me. I don't know. I secondhand quoted a study from a book that I haven't totally finished. So, you know, on that expertise level, I said that that ebooks, you know, were harder to maintain comprehension, but it was a study. It wasn't, um, you know, every person in the study wasn't the same, you know, so, so don't worry about it. <laughs> I, I do think that again, it kind of comes back to the defaults. And I would argue, David, that the system that you have landed on for how you read books and how you get things out of them and how you benefit from the information that you've read, you've thought through how to leverage the technology and have it provide you positive benefit. But if you haven't thought all that through and you don't have that ingrained yet and you're not highlighting things in your Kindle book and sending them to Readwise and all that kind of stuff, I do think if you were to just sit down with a Kindle book versus a physical book nothing else, you know, and just pick one and read it straight through, then yeah, you probably would get more out of the the physical book. I don't think that that's the, the only way to do it. Uh, I do think that should be at least a consideration though, at the beginning for just about everybody, <laughs> because it's hard. <laughs> that's the, the whole point. The technology makes it easy for us to go and fill the void, right? And the minute that you have to force your eyes to move across the, the page and try to retain any of what you have just read, you're forced to confront what uh, your technology use has done to your brain. Yeah. Right. For me, it was the fact that I couldn't maintain my attention for more than a couple of minutes. And I was like, this is messed up. I used to read for hours at a time when I was a kid. What happened? I got to get back to that. And so just for me, that was the place where I had to put up the intentional constraints to build up the muscle. Well, you know, uh, Ryan Holiday's new book is coming out, Discipline is Destiny, in a few weeks. Maybe I'll just get that as a physical book, just just for giggles. Read it and see how that goes. You are right, though, about all the the downsides of that, the having to store them and having them be heavy when you pack them in your luggage. I've experienced both of those things. I put together another bookshelf today because I ran out of room. <laughs> Gene, one of the things that you've done recently on the, you did a blog post on it through micro.blog uh, about your kind of evolution with GTD and the now world famous meow system. Tell us about that. <laughs> no. um, yeah, I, as I mentioned, I've been doing this podcast with James Dempsey um, for four and a half years. And 
I really thought that doing a podcast would be the the final like you know way to make me get really on top of a getting things done style system because I have admired that system forever since 2006 I can point to the article in Macworld magazine where it was described by one Merlin man and I was like, I want this, you know, and then I got the book. I'm like, I totally want this. I, 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 this makes perfect sense to me. But then I would do it. Then I would fall off the wagon. I would start up again. Probably four times I've given it like a, a real try. And this was the fourth time. And this year I thought, you know what? I just have to be honest. It's not, it's whatever it is, it's not working for me. I'm not really doing the weekly review, which is kind of the, the heart of of the system and I need to do something that works for me. So I was just goofing around. I said, I'm just going to start making a list of things that I would do every week and I could feel good about and that I wouldn't procrastinate over. And so that's how I, and, and I said, I wish it had like, I could think of some initials for it, like GTD. And I don't know why the word meow came to mind and I couldn't get rid of it. And I don't even have a cat, um, but I like cats. And so I just started <laughs> playing around with what could meow stand for? <laughs> and uh, I, I now, I, I think I've landed on what is going to be the final version, which is my evolving organizational workflow, because it is evolving and uh, it will always evolve. And basically, it's a, a checklist of things that I do every week I've made it very low tech. So I stopped using OmniFocus, which I love OmniFocus, you know, and I love the Omni group, but it just was, I just was overwhelmed feeling, you know, so the meow is basically a checklist that I do pretty much every week and it's easy for me to do it. And uh, one of the rules of the meow system is if you don't check everything off, that's okay. (laughs) So, so I consider it, you know, that I've done it even if I haven't done every step. And and that might feel like, oh, my God, you know, to people who are really good at keeping track of things and, and for sure reviewing them and checking them off all as a regular thing, you, you know, I could understand that would sound like, oh, my God, how could you possibly keep track of things? But it's working for me. And that is what I was looking for is something um, that would work for me. So I, and I think with the name meow, it sounds like such a goof, you know, I, people can understand I'm not taking this super seriously. I am just doing a thing that works for me. It's really a check, a checklist of things I do on mostly a weekly basis. Well, you've got a blog post and you've got an episode, episode 219 of the weekly review where you go into this, we're going to link it. (laughs) But I, I feel like, um, and I've said this before, a system should only be as complex as you as you need it to be to get your work done. Yeah. And no more complex yeah. than that. Right. And I, I do think people fall into the trap of like making it overly complex. And and mm-hmm. I mean the example I've used, I've talked about it on shows before, but like when I was in law school, I literally wrote down my list on my napkin every morning. Like in the morning, cup <laughs> of tea, write a few things down a napkin, stick it in your pocket at the end of the day check them off. And that was, that was my system, you know, and it worked because I didn't have kids. I didn't have a wife. I didn't have clients. I didn't have all the stuff that I have 
now, right? As my life got more complex, right. I needed something more complex. But I, uh, I really, uh, I really think people can get lost on this stuff if they start. You know, you need like um, one of my law school professors said. You know, I, I gave a long answer to a question, and he said, "I asked you what time it was, and you built me a Rolex." You know, and that's that <laughs> is uh, that's what we do to ourselves sometimes with these systems. Yeah. You made a comment, Gene, about the meow system being more fun or more enjoyable. And I mm-hmm. feel like that's a interesting point that we should unpack a little bit. I think uh, the tendency to think about productivity is as a list of things that I have to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know, at some, some level, um, certain jobs for sure, it is a list of things that you have to do because people need things from you, but uh, you don't have to necessarily change the work to enjoy it more. You can just change your perspective with it. And I feel like giving yourself permission to have fun with it and to play with it, that Mm -hmm. could be a game changer, even if the actual things that you're trying to do with your system don't change at all. Yeah, I think it it was just important for me to finally recognize that I, I can figure out that I can figure this stuff out for myself, um, especially after what is like 16 years of, of reading and following David Allen. I know, you know, the principles and I just don't need to, to use those exact checklists. Um, the, I mean, the main thing that fell off the never got added to the meow that's very important in GTD is all inboxes to zero it's like that that always would stop me because it'd be like such an feel like such an overwhelming task but so you know it's i just i enjoy i enjoy it now and i i it took me a while many years apparently to say hmm i guess this doesn't really work for me and there's not another thing out there that i should actually try um i should just come to some kind of system that is my own that I would never say, Oh, here's a system that will, you know, I'm going to trademark and sell (laughs) because it's not that kind of a thing. It's, you know, and so I feel a lot, I feel so much better. Like I've, I, it's not, there's nothing wrong with, with getting things done. I don't, you know, I don't think anything inherently wrong with it. It just doesn't work for me. And, uh, I'm just not going to be in that club of GTD enthusiasts because it's never really worked for me. I wonder what just the elimination of that first thing that you mentioned, the the compulsive checking of the inboxes, if you just disconnected Mm -hmm. from that expectation, Mm -hmm. what sort of impact that would have on people's perception of GTD? We just recorded an episode not too long ago of GTD audit. I think there's a lot Mm -hmm. of people who are frustrated with GTD and maybe don't know why. And maybe that's the thing that causes the the anxiety and the stress about it just because the inboxes have gotten out of control. Yeah. Well, it, it is like the, the ideal is, you know, that mind like water goal, which means that inboxes do need to be at zero because otherwise you're keeping something in your brain. I think I've just accepted that some things are going to be stored in my brain uh, for better or worse, and I might forget a thing now and again, but that's just me being human, you know. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's me just doing doing the best I can. Um, it worked before. A napkin could work for probably a napkin could work for me as well. But I just uh, I'm not a, I'm not a productivity machine. Um, and uh, you know, as you say, it's not cranking widgets. Um, and I was trying to crank them, but my crank was always jammed. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that that's really important. You mentioned you're not a productivity machine and you're a human. So you're going to have these things bouncing around in your head and being human is not a problem to be solved. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I also think that one of the problems with GTD, and we talked about this on that GTD show is that efficiency for efficiency's sake, isn't good enough. I mean, the whole point of focus that we talked about earlier, spending your time on the things most important. And, and I think GTD tries to address that, but there is a version of GTD that is easy to fall into that makes all things equal. And that's not Mm -hmm. the point. And if you fall into that trap, then GTD is actually a disservice to you. Yeah. Comes back to the beginning of the episode and we're talking about the technology, the systems apply too here, you know, use it to further your agenda. Don't just be part of, uh, part of their process. Yeah. Um, oh, my favorite part of GTD was the 43 folders, to be honest, <laughs> uh, having, you know, a physical place to put things that needed to be looked at later on. I've moved a few times and I don't have really a good filing system like that really requires a good spot with the folders and stuff. But I might go back to it again. I don't I I, I definitely come across things and I say, mm, if I still had a tickler file. This is where it would go. (laughs) Well, Gene, this has been a really fun conversation and it's been far reaching, which are my favorite episodes of, uh, especially guest interviews on the focus podcast. We're going to have to have you back and you're going to have to keep us posted. But in the meantime, everybody go check out, uh, Gene's podcast with, um, with James Dempsey and, uh, the weekly review. We'll put a link in the show notes. We'll put a link also in for the, the meow system. Maybe this will encourage some people to rethink what they're doing too. Let's, we can only hope. Today on Deep Focus, we're going to be talking to Jean about her journaling woes and uh, where that's going. So that's going to be fun for the supporters. In the meantime, I want to thank our sponsors. That's our friends at Indeed and Ethos. And uh, we'll see you next time.